主今天赐给我们的话是《希伯来书》十二章一节和二节。我们既有着许多的见证人，如同云彩围着我们，就当放下各样的重担，脱去容易缠累我们的罪，存心忍耐，奔那摆在我们前头的路程，仰望为我们信心创始成终的耶稣。他因那摆在前面的喜乐，就轻看羞辱，忍受了十字架的苦难，便坐在神宝座的右边。那忍受罪人这样顶撞的，你们要思想，免得疲倦灰心。感谢主。Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's、uh, it's always so good to be in God's presence with God's people. It's so encouraging. Let's、uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would、uh, that you would quiet our hearts this morning. That you would prepare our hearts to receive、uh, what you have for each one of us, Lord. We acknowledge our our complete dependence upon you, our need for you in every way. Father, this morning we want to we want to hear your voice.、Uh, we want to to meet with you face to face, Lord. And I, I just pray, Lord, that、uh, that you would make yourself. Um, known to each of us in a special way this morning, I pray that that we would remain in the vine and get your strength、uh, this morning for the week ahead and the months ahead.、I、pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So,、uh, Doug mentioned earlier. You know, quoting Isaiah 55, God's ways are higher than our ways, and His paths higher than our paths. And that's true, so very true. I can relate to that so much in my own life. And in Proverbs, it says, "In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps." And that was something that was very evident in my journey to Beijing.、Um, Three and a half years ago, I thought I was in Seattle. I thought I was going to be in Seattle for the rest of my career. Fifty years old, had been working in the same group、um, for most of my career, in the same job for the late, last eight years. It was a good job. I was comfortable in it. You know, I felt secure, as secure as you can be with two kids heading off to college. <laughs> And then three more behind them,、uh, knowing that you'll have to provide for them as they go through that journey. But I, I felt I felt secure, I felt comfortable, and I felt like 
you know, I, I was just on the tail end, just kind of uh, not coasting in exactly, but, uh, but just finishing up, trying to finish well. And then, uh, and then God shook up my world. Three and a half years ago, there was an announcement uh, from our organization that they were moving the whole organization, all 3,000 people from Seattle to Seal Beach near Los Angeles. That was a shock. We were, we were so comfortable where we were, living in a quiet place in Camino Island, a little bit north of Seattle. You know, good home, uh, good church. Everything was comfortable, and all of a sudden that was shaken up. And so uh, when I recovered a bit from the shock and, uh, and started to put this before the Lord in prayer, you know, I, I knew that the easiest path for me in a lot of ways would just be to move with the organization. You know, everything's, everything's guaranteed. My job would be the same, just in a different place with some different people. Some people wouldn't go down. But that was the path of security, um, to, to go to Seal Beach. But, but early on, I sensed that that was not the Lord's plan for me. And... Uh, I didn't feel peace about that, so, so within a couple weeks of the announcement, I told my manager that, you know, just, just so you know, I'm, I'm not going to go. And, and then a little bit later on, you know, as there, were, there were many others who were in that same boat, and they didn't want to go as well. So it was like the rats were leaving the sinking ship. Everybody was looking for their next job in the Seattle area, There's, so there, there are very few jobs available and hundreds of people looking for those, those few jobs that were available. And so people started, started scurrying, applying for jobs, interviewing, trying to get that, that next place of security. And, and I, I just barely started down that path, and again I sensed the Lord telling me, you need to wait. Wait on me, trust me. You know, there was a, there was a real need during that time for some stability during the transition. Um, I had people that I was responsible to in my group who were, you know, some who were going to stay and then just wait and be laid off at the end because they were near retirement. And then others who would be seeking jobs, you know, trying to navigate through that, those difficult waters. And the Lord told me, you need, to be, you need to be part of that. You need to be a servant and stay and trust me. And so, in a little bit of fear, I called my manager and said, okay, I'm, I'm committed to be here through the transition. Now, there's a lot of risk with that, because it, then it comes down to just, you know, originally there was a, a, about a year to find a new job. Now, now it's just, you know, maybe two or three months at the end to find a new job, or I'm, I'm without a job. <laughs> But the Lord was telling me, step out in faith, and so I stepped out. And then, uh, you know, through that process, toward the end, with just a few months to go, I came across an opportunity in, in Beijing with a sister organization and field service uh, with Boeing. And, and it was, I was made aware of it through just a, a chance encounter. Um, and... Uh, I, I, I just happened to ran and run into the, the hiring manager. Um, and uh, and he, he told me about the, the position, and it was, it was almost joking. He said, you should apply. And, oh, yeah, sure. 
I didn't think that was a possibility at that time in my life. But he told me the position was in Beijing. And, and of all of the possible locations, really, China was the only one that would have interested me. Because, you know, even back in college, I had a sense of calling um, toward China. And early on in my career, I thought of making that transition into field service, maybe getting to China at some point, though if, though if you get into the organization, there's no guarantee of that. But then, then life intervened, you know, period of courtship, getting married, having kids, and then Debbie had cancer. And so it was delayed and delayed. And, and, and at this stage of my career, I thought, no, that's, that's, not even, that's not even a possibility. But then when I went home and talked to my wife, she was actually positive about the idea. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> but the, uh, the hiring manager, he happened to be the only one of the regional directors in field service that I had a relationship with. When he would come to Seattle, we would go out to lunch even. So I knew him very well. And, and so I was all set. You know, I decided to apply for the position. I was ready to interview. In the end, they pulled back the interview. I didn't even have to interview. They gave me the job. And, and I, think, I think what was in their minds is, you know, he's been faithful. He, he stayed through the transition at risk to himself. Uh, we need to do this for him. So, you know, it was very clear to me, and there were many other things. It was like the planets aligning. It was very clear that God was orchestrating um, all of this in my life. And so when we came to Beijing, we came with really a, a very strong sense of calling that God had a purpose and plan for us here. I didn't clearly know what that purpose was, and I still don't fully know what that purpose is, although I've experienced um, some of it by now, certainly. But still, even with that sense of calling, you know, I expected there to be challenges. I wasn't naive. I figured, you know, it, there, there are going to be challenges with transitioning to, to life in, in Beijing in another country. And, and I also knew that, that hardships are... Uh, they're just a part of the Christian walk. And I'd experienced that before. I'd experienced hardships. So I, I would not be surprised um, at any hardships I experienced. But I was not at all prepared uh, for what came. And, and I would describe that as, as an all-out assault on our family. You know, flaming arrows of the evil one flying in every direction in swarms. And, uh, and a lot of them hitting home. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just with me, but it was, it was with our children, and that was hard. I learned really at that point what it means that, as it says in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I know that many of you can, can relate to this. I've heard some of your stories, that, and, and you're in the midst of that, that same struggle yourself, or you have been. And, and I expect that, that for some of you, this, this struggle is just beginning, and for others, it's coming soon. But for me, it raised some questions that, that I think are answered in that passage that was read this morning earlier by, 
by Mabel and, and Tammy. And so I, I would like to uh, take us through that passage this morning. The passage begins with a call that likens the faithful and obedient life to a long-distance race. And let's, <clears throat> let's take a look at it once more. Uh, chapter 12 in Hebrews, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, and sin that which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, so we're called to get rid of, of everything that would hinder us and weigh us down as we run this race with perseverance. But before we go into the details of the call, I want to spend a little time looking at the therefore that precedes it, which, which, is the, which the call to run the race uh, flows out of, that therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So what is this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and is tied to this calling? And what do they have to do with the call to run the race? Well, the, the chapter before this one is very familiar, Hebrews 11. You know it, the, uh, the hall of faith, as, as we often call it. So you probably know the answer to the first question. The great cloud of witnesses is, is those who are commended for their faith, for living in faith, for stepping out in faith against all odds uh, in chapter 11. Uh, just to touch on a, on a few of them. You know, it starts with, it starts with Abel, and, and James talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, with Abel's sacrifice, by faith able to God, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And it's, it's kind of interesting because in the story of their sacrifices, we really don't get a direct idea of what it is that was acceptable about Abel's sacrifice and not about Cain's. But when we see it in Hebrews 11, we know it has something to do with faith. And, and so looking at that, um, as I looked at this, the story about Cain and Abel, I noticed a, a big difference in the way their sacrifices were, were described. For Cain, it was in the course of time he offered some of the fruits of the land. He was a, he was a farmer. For Abel, he offered from the firstborn of his flocks the fat portions, the best portions. So he, he offered the best and the first and there's, it takes faith to do that because you're trusting that God will provide from then on. You know, lots of things can go wrong that can, that can ruin your herd. So he was, he was acting in faith, whereas it seems like Cain was just, you know, okay, now that I have an abundance, I will offer some of this abundance to you, Lord. And then interestingly, just very, uh, a very obscure um, character in Scripture, they he talks about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And all we know about Enoch's life from Genesis is that he walked with God. And then he was no more because God took him. But, but I think the author of Hebrews wanted to include that next part in, in verse 6 in Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is, an, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then we have Noah, you know, <laughs> just an amazing, amazing person of faith in his response to God's call for him. And think of all that he endured as a result of, of responding to that call. 
And then we have, we have Abraham in, in a few different instances in his life showing, showing great faith. First, in, in obeying the call, leaving this place where he was comfortable. And this is one I can really relate to coming to Beijing. Leaving the place where he had, had all, the, all the comforts, he had a secure place, he had, he had herds, flocks, he was, he was comfortable. God called him to go to this land that he had promised, which, you know, there was nothing for him there. He's living in tents. <laughs> and then, then, of course, Abraham, Abraham, you know, believing God with regard to Isaac when God promised to make him into a great nation through his son. And then the ultimate part of that is when, when God told him to sacrifice his son, you know, being prepared and, and almost following through that with that until God stopped that. And then, and then Moses, um, in verse, uh, verse 24, says, By faith Moses, when he has grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So all of these people, they, they acted um, in faith in response to God's call, despite all of the difficulties that would result from that. So going back to 12 verse 1, what about the second question? What do they have to do with the call to run the race? Well, I don't think the image of this cloud of witnesses is the image of spectators cheering us on. As much as I love that image, and if, if that's your image, great, keep it. It's a good one. But I don't think that's the primary image here. The Greek word for witness is martus. And, uh, and that, that word refers to someone who, who gives testimony to what they have seen and heard. It can be in a court of law, you know, a formal witness in, in, in the court of law. And it came to be, the word came to be used of those who gave their lives as the ultimate testimony to their faith. The English word martyr comes from the Greek word martus. I think the great cloud of witnesses in verse 1 are those who lives, whose lives testify to God's faithfulness as they stepped out in faith in very significant ways where they really had to just put all of their trust in God. And they found him faithful in every way, and that's the witness to us, is that God was faithful as they stepped out in faith. So they're an example for us of how to run the race, which we'll see is a race that, that must be run by faith. So following their, following their example, though, were to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, we could go through a catalog of of sins that cling to us and entangle us, uh, preventing us from running this race that we're called to run with endurance. Whenever we pers pursue the things of this world in the world's way rather than the things of God in His ways, we're, we're entangled, we're burdened, we're hindered from running the race the way we're supposed to. However, based on what comes before and after um, this verse, I think the primary enabler of running this race with endurance is faith. I think that's what it has primarily in view. So I want to focus a little bit on what it is that hinders, hinders us from living by faith. And I, I once heard a message that I thought captured the essence of this, and I, and I was really helped by it. I want to share a little bit from that. The speaker suggested that, 
the opposite of living by faith is not, he wouldn't say living by doubt, although it essentially is that. But what he said the opposite was, was living by fear. Instead of living by faith, living by fear. Specifically fear that comes from doubting God's faithfulness, his goodness, or his power. He was speaking in the context of walking by faith, particularly in the big moments of our lives as we face those, those major crossroads and have to make decisions about things like our vocation, our calling, our ministry, our marriage partner, you know, some of those big decisions. But, but it also applies to how we respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives day to day. He suggested that in these moments, if we make our choice out of fear rather than out of faith, 100% of the time, it's wrong. Even if it's the right choice, it's wrong because it was made in fear rather than in faith. As I recall, he quoted Hebrews 11.6, which we looked at earlier, noting that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, this doesn't mean that we should always, see, always choose the seemingly more difficult path as we're faced with these crossroads in our lives. I'm, I'm convinced that God doesn't work that way. Often it is the more difficult path, but not always. But we need to choose in faith, trusting that trusting God's leading, trusting him for the result, and not make decisions out of fear that God may not come through for us in the end and that we'll be left out on the limb in some way. So if you believe God's calling you to be a teacher, for example, but you fear that you won't be able to raise a family on a teacher's salary and you choose another path, then then you're not, you're not trusting God and his ability to, to provide for you what you need. And you'll be hindered in running the race that he's marked out for you. In your choice of a spouse, if you settle for someone with whom you know you're in, unequally yoked because you fear that you won't be given another opportunity, this person's asking you, there may not be another one that comes along who asks. So if you choose out of fear, you're going to be hindered, you're going to be entangled and unable, unable to run that race as God intends. We sometimes justify these things, these kinds of decisions, by telling ourselves that we're seeking security because somehow that seems a little bit, seems a little bit uh, better than, than deciding out of fear. But in those cases, our security is misplaced. As Pastor Rick often points out, you know, we're placing our security in things that move and shake rather, rather than in the one who cannot be moved or shaken, who has prepared a kingdom for us which cannot be shaken, as it says later in our chapter in Hebrews 12. For me, the choice about whether to move to Seal Beach when my organization was moving was that kind of choice, and then also the choice to stay in that position longer to, to help with the transition rather than immediately looking for jobs as all of my fellow um, employees were doing. And I, I say that I'm not holding myself up as an example of faith. I think, you know, as I, when I read Scripture, whenever I see Jesus chastising the disciples, so you have little faith, I'm right there with him. I, I'm one of them. But God gives grace and faith uh, where it's needed. So if we walk by faith and not by fear, does that mean our lives will be fear of troubles and will be free of troubles? 
Well, of course not. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to run with endurance. Those commended for their faith in Hebrews 11 all faced significant hardships, as I mentioned, because they chose the path of faith. And there, there are examples, with the possible exception of Enoch. At least it's not detailed in his life what, what he faced. But I assume that it, since he walked with God, he faced troubles as well. But if there's any doubt of that, the verses that follow make this very plain. And let's, let's, uh, let's look at uh, verse 2. Maybe backing up to the last part of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set bef- that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you, have, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In order to run the race set before us with endurance, without growing weary and losing heart, it says we must look to Jesus to supply what we need. And, and also, we need to look to Jesus as, as the, uh, the perfect example of a life of obedience in the face of hardship, in the face of suffering, in the face of the hostility of men. Jesus is described as both the founder or initiator of our faith and the perfecter or completer of our faith. I think he's described as the founder in the sense of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, sorry, I didn't go to 9. As the perfecter of our faith, I think it's referring not just to the end, when we meet him face to face and our faith is, is completed. But I think it also includes the process of perfecting our faith, supplying what we need for each situation that we face, and then building up our faith as we find him faithful through every trial and hardship that we endure. I think this is the process described in verses 4 through 11, the result of which is summed up in the last two verses, in verses 10 and 11. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. These verses make it clear that, that hardship and, and suffering are nor, a normal part of the Christian race, a normal part of the Christian life, of the race of faith that we're, that we're called to run. 
And I don't think the image here is primarily that of hardship as a punishment for sin, although sometimes that's the case. We're punished because we've stepped away from the path and the Lord is leading us back to that path. And maybe we always need to take pause when we face hardship and, and ask, is it that? But it's not necessarily that. I think the primary Im- image is that of, of training, as a father trains his children, training in righteousness through hardship, even when we're truly living by faith. So we're, looked, we're to look to Jesus as the one who gives us faith, the faith that we need to endure, but we're also to look to him as the perfect example of living by faith through trials and hardships. He chose to obey the will of the Father all the way to the cross. The one who was without sin, suffering at the hands of sinners, being mocked and beaten and made to suffer in many ways as one despised and rejected, and yet quietly submitting to all of that all the way until the end. So I want to close by focusing on that phrase in verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, because I think that's significant, and not just for Jesus. You know, he endured for the joy set before him. But I think that is, is a primary need for us in order for us to endure as well. When we consider Jesus as our example, I think this is a key element of his running the race before him with endurance. And, and as I said, I think it's key for us in our imitation of Christ's example. Not only do we need to look to Jesus, fixing our eyes in, on him as we face the hardships of a life of faith, but we need to look, look up, look up from the trials that are in front of us and focus on the end of our faith, that which God has in store for those who love him. And then for the joy set before us, endure. The great cloud of witnesses surrounding us did this, living as strangers and, and exiles on this earth. From chapter 11, verse 13 It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then, and then our passage in Hebrews 12, um, if we skip toward the end of the passage, um, goes on to speak of the joy that's set before us as well for those who put their trust in Christ and choose to live by faith. So Hebrews 12, verse 22. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to, and to innum- innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then uh, jumping to verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So are you living by faith and not by fear? Are you trusting that God will supply all that you need for whatever he would have you do? as he did for those who have lived by faith in the past? Are you looking to Jesus to provide the faith that you need for each trial that you face? Do you trust that God uses hardships for your good, producing the fruit of holiness and righteousness in your life? Do you have the joy set before you firmly in view? enabling you to endure hardship as strangers and exiles on the earth, being fully convinced that you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that, that many of us are in the midst of struggles in the midst of hardships. We're, we're over our heads. And, and apart, from, apart from you, apart from your strength, apart from your wisdom, we cannot endure. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly look to the author and perfecter of our faith, to look to his example and also to look to him to provide the faith that we need to endure. Help us, Lord, to trust uh, in the process that you will bring good out of, out of suffering. And help us, Lord, to stay the course, the course that you have marked out for us. And endure trusting in you, following your direction, all the way to the end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.